Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to American Airlines Arena and the 2013 NBA Championship Ring and Banner Raising Ceremony for your Miami Heat to help recognize... In the 2013 NBA Finals, Kawhi Leonard averaged 15 points per game and 11 rebounds. At 21 years old, Leonard recorded the highest defensive rating of any player, San Antonio or Miami, in a series that featured at least seven other current or future Hall of Fame basketball players. Kawhi had a case for being the most valuable spur in that series. The only thing it'll be remembered for is his missed free throw that would have sealed the series for San Antonio in Game 6. Beginning in the 2013 offseason, Greg Popovich began the transition from Tim Duncan to Kawhi Leonard. Here's how Sports Illustrated's Lee Jenkins detailed the Spurs' transition in his 2016 cover story on Leonard. Quote, Popovich transferred to Leonard plays that had been reserved for veteran wing Manu Ginobili. He let him run after rebounds like the Warriors' Draymond Green. Pop created small forward post-ups for the first time in his career. End quote. Just as a quick side note before we go further, this Lee Jenkins story in Sports Illustrated in 2016 was so insightful into Kawhi's famously private life that two years later, the Los Angeles Clippers hired him as executive director of research and identity. His unofficial title was Kawhi Leonard Expert, as the Clippers began to pursue him in free agency. So we're going to use stories from this piece a lot during this episode. Anyways, back to the story. During the 2013 and 2014 off-seasons, this was what Kawhi Leonard's workout regimen looked like. Quote, He retreated to San Diego for an entire summer of three-a-day workouts, some sessions so grueling that he would drop a dozen pounds in a 24-hour span. Kawhi lifted NFL-caliber weight, leg-pressing more than 600 pounds and squatting more than 400. In 2014, Leonard would return to San Antonio and make his first NBA All-Defensive team. Kawhi improved his field goal percentage from 49% to 52% and averaged 13 points per game during the regular season. The Spurs won 62 games in the 2014 season, their highest win total since 2006. After winning a first-round series versus Dallas and a second-round series against Portland, the Spurs advanced to their third straight conference finals. Awaiting the Spurs, once again, was Kevin Durant and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Durant had just won his fourth consecutive NBA scoring title, and for the first time, he was named 2014 NBA MVP. The Spurs and Thunder had the two best records in the NBA during the 2014 season. Whoever won this series would be viewed as heavy favorites against the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals. The Spurs dominated the first two games in San Antonio, 
winning by 17 and 35 points. The Thunder won games three and four in Oklahoma, behind 66 total points from Russell Westbrook. Back in San Antonio, the Spurs won game five by 26 points. The Spurs returned to Oklahoma City for game six, just one win away from returning to the NBA Finals. With two minutes left to go in game six, the Spurs led the Thunder 97-91. Russell Westbrook scored a basket to cut the Thunder deficit to four points. 30 seconds later, Westbrook intercepted a Danny Green pass and took it the other way for a layup. Spurs 97, Thunder 95. The Spurs called a one-on-one play for Leonard against Thunder guard Reggie Jackson. Leonard missed the free throw line jump shot, and then Durant would make two free throws to tie the game. On the next possession, Manu Ginobili would have his layup blocked by Westbrook before Durant scored the go-ahead layup with 32 seconds left to play. Thunder 99, Spurs 97. For the second year in a row, the Spurs gave back a lead at the end of Game 6. They simply couldn't close out a series, first against Miami and now against the Thunder. The Spurs called an isolation play for Kawhi Leonard. Leonard passed the ball to Ginobili, who buried a three-point shot with 27 seconds to play, crediting Leonard with the assist. Leonard then had the task of guarding Kevin Durant one-on-one. Leonard stole the ball from Durant on his drive, and it rolled into the hands of Manu Ginobili with 15 seconds left to play. Ginobili would be fouled, and make one out of two free throws on the other end. Spurs 101, Oklahoma City 99. On the Thunder's last possession, the Spurs would foul Russell Westbrook's shot, and he made both of his free throws to send the game to overtime. Just like in 2013, the Spurs would be headed to overtime in game six. With one minute to play in overtime, The Spurs led 108 to 107. Tim Duncan missed a shot, and the Thunder went on a three-on-two fast break. Reggie Jackson had the ball, with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook running by his sides towards the basket. Boris Diaw drew to covering Durant, which left Kawhi in a two-on-one situation against Jackson and Westbrook. When Jackson reached the free throw line, he threw a bounce pass to Westbrook mid-stride. Westbrook caught the pass and went up for the dunk when Leonard reached out and blocked Westbrook's attempt. Leonard took the ball the other way, and 10 seconds later, it ended up back in the hands of Tim Duncan, one-on-one with a mismatch on Reggie Jackson. Duncan scored the basket to give the Spurs a 110-107 lead. Durant missed a three-pointer, sealing the victory and the series for the San Antonio Spurs. The Spurs were advancing to their sixth NBA Finals in the Tim Duncan and Greg Popovich era. In their rematch of the 2013 NBA Finals, the Spurs 
dominated the Heat. They won the series in five games and it wasn't even that close. The Spurs won games in the series by 15, 19, 21, and 17 points. After the Heat won Game 2 in San Antonio, a game where LeBron James had 35 points and 10 rebounds, the Spurs had Kawhi Leonard guard LeBron one-on-one -on -one for the entire remainder of the series. Leonard frustrated LeBron, holding him to just 25 points per game the rest of the series. There's a famous video from an ABC broadcast of LeBron at the free throw line turning to see Leonard checking back into the game and dropping a visible F-bomb on camera. In addition to his defensive prowess, Leonard was the Spurs' leading scorer in the last three games. In games three, four, and five, all Spurs victories, Leonard averaged 23 points per game and nine rebounds. Leonard was unanimously named NBA Finals MVP. Jenkins told the story in Sports Illustrated about how, when it was time for Kawhi's day with the NBA Finals trophy, Leonard let it sit in his apartment all day. For Kawhi Leonard, he'd rather do three-a-day NFL-style workouts than parade the NBA Finals trophy around San Diego. That 2014 Finals was the moment the Spurs officially became Kawhi Leonard's team. In 2015, Leonard would win Defensive Player of the Year and make his first All-Star team. In 2016, Leonard averaged 25 points per game, won a second straight Defensive Player of the Year, and finished second in the MVP voting. Kawhi Leonard was legitimately one of the three best players in the NBA. He had become the star the Spurs always dreamt he could be. When most NBA fans think of Kawhi Leonard, the first things they think of are what they don't know about Kawhi. On episode three, I want to take a deep dive into Leonard's life, career, and the human being behind the man frequently referred to as the Terminator. This is the fall of the Spurs dynasty. Episode 3, Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard was born June 29th, 1991, in Los Angeles, California. Leonard grew up in Moreno Valley, a community about an hour east of downtown Los Angeles. Leonard was the fifth and final child in the marriage between Kim Robertson and Mark Leonard. Kawhi grew up with four older sisters and idolized Michael Jordan as a child. Here's what Lee Jenkins had to say about Leonard's childhood. Quote, he was the baby of the family, minded by four older sisters who stood in long lines to buy him Air Jordans and prophesied in home videos his athletic feats. At seven, Kawhi interrupted an annual physical to inform his pediatrician that he planned to play in the NBA. Quote, Do you know how many kids come into this office and say that? The doctor smirked. It is possible that Kawhi has not uttered an audacious word since. 
he quietly observed his older sisters, immersed in their adolescent dramas, and avoided any of his own. He called coaches and parents sir and ma'am. He handed footballs to officials after touchdowns. He passed basketballs to friends instead of shooting them himself. Why do you do that? His mother, Kim Robinson, once asked. Leonard watched Come Fly With Me, a glossy 1980s documentary about Michael Jordan until his eyes ached. But the promise of movies, commercials, stratospheric stats, and double pump highlights, trappings of success in the post-Jordan era, were not what enticed him. I don't like to bring attention to myself, Kawhi says now. I don't like to make a scene. Basketball was an outlet, not a showcase. A vehicle for escape, rather than glory. I could be on the court for two hours, and it felt like ten minutes, Leonard says. It made time go by. Math, his favorite subject, produced a similar effect. He could lose himself in geometry homework, calculating angles, and solving problems, not having to deal with big crowds or noisy questions. End quote. Leonard's parents separated when Kawhi was a young child. Mark Leonard moved an hour southwest to Compton, California, where he remarried to Jacqueline Leonard. Kawhi stayed with his mother in Moreno Valley. Kim's brother, Dennis Robertson, lived down the street from the family as well. With all of his children being adults, Uncle Dennis, as he was referred to, was frequently there to support Kawhi and his sisters. Despite their growing physical distance, Mark and Kawhi had an incredibly strong relationship. As Ramona Shelburne detailed in 2014, quote, They played basketball together, trained together, hung out all the time. Mark Leonard owned a car wash in Compton, and he would take his son to work all the time. Leonard attended local Canyon Springs High School in Moreno Valley. And after his sophomore year, Leonard transferred to Martin Luther King High School in nearby Riverside as a result of his emergence as a four-star basketball prospect. Leonard would go on to win California's Mr. Basketball Award as the best player in the state. Colleges had a hard time contacting Leonard because he never answered phone calls. When Leonard was invited to a Nike Summit camp, he declined the offer, stating, quote, I don't need the exposure. Pac-12 schools were left thinking Kawhi wasn't interested because he wasn't pursuing them. In reality, Kawhi already knew what school he was going to attend, San Diego State University. SDSU was the first school to recruit Kawhi, thinking he would be a three and a half to four star recruit when he was a sophomore in high school. Kawhi knew he wanted to go to San Diego State simply because they were the first one to recruit him, despite later interest from USC, UCLA, and Cal Berkeley. As his former SDSU teammate Tim Shelton details, quote, he was probably one of the hardest recruits that you'd ever deal with who was that talented. He wasn't going to text you, he wasn't going to pick up the phone and talk to you, he just wouldn't do it. I think part of why the Pac-12 teams didn't put in extra effort, they were like, he's kind of a four-man and shoot, and we can't really call him and talk to him, so he must not want to talk to us, end quote. 
When Kawhi made his official visit to San Diego State, Shelton and his Aztec teammate DJ Gay hosted Leonard on campus. They told The Athletic in 2019 about how all Leonard wanted to do was go play basketball. DJ Gay, quote, I took Kawhi on his official visit. Honestly, the only thing he wanted to do was get in the gym. We were like, Kawhi, what do you want to do? And he was like, let's go work out. Let's go get shots up. Let's play. Tim Shelton. We had open gym and we were playing. We stopped in between games, introduced ourselves as a team, and just chopped it up a little bit. We ended up talking more to his mom than him. He introduced himself. Quote, I'm Kawhi. Hey, what's up? But if you tried to talk to him, he was like, Oh, it's cool. Everything's cool. So far, it's cool. It's nice. Then he'd grab the ball and just go over and shoot. Even during his visit, I'm telling you, he'd just go over and shoot. DJ Gay. I think we started up our day playing two-on-two and finished our day getting shots up. That's just what he wanted to do. He wanted to work. I honestly had no idea what to expect when he left. He didn't say much. He just wanted to hoop. I had no idea if we were getting him or not. I told coach Steve Fisher, I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you. He just didn't say much, end quote. Leonard committed to San Diego State as part of their 2009 recruiting class. On Friday, January 18th, 2008, Martin Luther King High School was scheduled to play a basketball game at UCLA's Pauley Pavilion. The stadium, which is on UCLA's campus in Westwood, is approximately a two-and-a-half-hour drive from Moreno Valley. Kawhi, his mother, and Uncle Dennis all drove together through Los Angeles to the basketball game. On the ride to the arena, Kawhi got a call from his older sister. Kim Robertson recounted the night to ESPN's Ramona Shelburne in 2014. Kawhi began to tear up a bit in the back seat as his sister talked. Kim and Dennis both began to feel some concern and they pulled off to the side of the road. When Kawhi hung up the phone, he told them, My daddy is dead. Mark Leonard was closing his car wash early on Friday night. He was going to drive an hour and a half to Westwood to watch Kawhi play at Pauley Pavilion. Just before closing, a man in a gray sweatshirt walked through the gate. The man started shooting at Mark Leonard, firing multiple rounds at him. He then stood over his victim and fired more shots at Leonard before fleeing the car wash in a truck. Mark Leonard was pronounced dead on sight when emergency vehicles arrived. He was 43 years old. Jacqueline Leonard, Kawhi's stepmother, recalled that day to ABC7 in Los Angeles in 2019. She didn't speak up on the subject for 11 years out of fear of retaliation. At the time, she was pregnant with Kawhi's stepbrother, Zion. Earlier in the day on January 18th, a friend of Mark's brought some people to the car wash hoping Mark would help settle a dispute. Their conversation turned into a yelling match, 
and everyone left to go their separate ways. She noticed that a truck was abnormally circling the car wash during the day, although she wasn't sure if it was the same truck in which the man fled. Three months later, a car drove through the back of the car wash and began shooting at Jacqueline. She would survive the shooting, and four months later would give birth to Zion Leonard. The case of Mark Leonard's murder and the attempted murder of Jacqueline Leonard remain unsolved to this day. Kawhi Leonard decided he was going to play in the basketball game that night. Leonard scored 17 points, and his team lost to Dominguez Hills 68-60. After the game, Kawhi Leonard broke down crying with his mother doing the best she could to support in that moment. In the years following Mark Leonard's murder, Kim Robertson was worried about her son and his emotional availability. She told Ramona Shelburne in 2014, quote, I really didn't see Kawhi suffer from it. I wanted him to. I would say, Kawhi, you okay? You okay? But I think he just kept it in. I was kind of scared. You know how young men, they lose their father, who's a big figure in their life? It might turn them to do things bad. But Kawhi's always been strong. He's a good kid. He wants to get better and better. End quote. From the moment the murder happened, Kawhi wanted to make his father proud. He wanted to keep on moving and moving and moving. His support system, with his mother his sisters, Uncle Dennis, his basketball team, they were there to lift up Kawhi through the last two years of high school. In regards to basketball greatness, that was all Kawhi and Kawhi Leonard's work ethic. Before we continue here with episode three of the Fall of the Spurs Dynasty, a couple of thanks I need to give out. First and foremost, thank you, thank you, thank you to Pounding the Rock, the San Antonio Spurs SB Nation site. With their help, they made this entire podcast possible. They allowed me the creative freedom to create this podcast and give me a platform to share with all of you this incredible, incredible series. Uh, The first episode already did 100 more downloads than I thought it would, so I'm just already over the moon with how this podcast has turned out and I know that hundreds more of you will come forward more as this podcast series goes on so again thank you thank you thank you to the people over at Pounding the Rock I saw on a chartable that we had a top 100 basketball podcast last week it's pretty freaking cool uh, I also want to give thanks to Bet Online Sportsbook They, along with the Believe Podcast Network, have been supporting our main feed, Take It Easy, for 10 months now. If you're listening to this podcast on Take It Easy, you're getting the bet online ads in the episode. Uh, They have continued to support the podcast and support these dreams uh, over the past 10 months, and I really, really appreciate their support and Believe for continuing to uh, pick up and support the Take It Easy podcast, which is helping to make all of these dreams come true. So again, thank you to them and uh, thank you for allowing the creative freedom and to support these dreams that we have here. So thank you again. Now back to episode three of the fall of the Spurs dynasty. 
1989, the University of Michigan won their first NCAA national championship. Three years later, the University of Michigan had the greatest recruiting class in the history of college basketball. The 1992 freshman class of Chris Weber, Jalen Rose, Jawan Howard, Ray Jackson, and Jimmy King would be known as the Fab Five. The Fab Five would become a highly successful basketball team, finishing runner-up in 1992 and 1993's college basketball seasons. They also became a cultural icon of the 1990s, wearing black shoes, baggy shorts, and black athletic socks as a form of rebellion against the conventional preppiness of college basketball. The head coach at Michigan from 1989 until 1997 was a man named Steve Fisher. Steve Fisher would be fired at the University of Michigan following the NCAA's investigation into Ed Martin providing financial support to Chris Weber and other players. Two years later, after being out of college basketball, Fisher was hired as head coach at San Diego State University. When Leonard got to San Diego State in 2009, the Aztecs had never once advanced beyond the first round of the NCAA tournament. San Diego State moved to NCAA Division I in 1969 and made it to the NCAA tournament in 1974, 1975, and 1985. To this day, San Diego State's all-time leading scorer is Major League Baseball Hall of Famer Tony Gwynn. San Diego State was only able to hire Fisher in 1999 because of the NCAA's investigation and the public opinion of college athletes getting money in the 1990s. If not for the sham investigation by the NCAA, Fisher may have still been coaching at Michigan until his retirement. Beloved there in the ways that Mike Krzyzewski is beloved at Duke. In his third season at San Diego State, Fisher took them to the NCAA tournament. In 2006, San Diego State won the regular season and postseason Mountain West titles. Fisher turned down interviews from other jobs to stay at San Diego State. Living in San Diego and coaching the Aztecs was viewed as a quote-unquote retirement job for the then 64-year-old Coach Fisher. In addition, Coach Fisher had built up the San Diego State program and was coaching with his son, Mark. In 2009, Mark Fisher was diagnosed with ALS. And in the years since, Steve Fisher has become an advocate and ally for the ALS community, raising awareness and resources through the San Diego community. Coach Fisher retired in 2017, and the court at San Diego State was named in his honor. Mark Fisher still coaches at San Diego State today under new head coach Brian Dutcher. Which, as a fun fact, Brian Dutcher was Steve Fisher's lead assistant for 26 years, both at Michigan and at San Diego State. Now, this is the part where I may nerd out a little bit on this podcast. I grew up in San Diego during the 2010s. I lived about 10 minutes away from San Diego State's campus. Both of my grandparents graduated from San Diego State. When I was a tween, I went to watch Leonard, Tim Shelton, DJ White, Jamal Franklin, Winston Shepard, Xavier Thames, and Steve Fisher play at San Diego State. When you grow up a San Diego sports fan, there isn't a whole lot to get excited about. 
For my entire memorable childhood, the San Diego Padres did not make the playoffs once. They went 15 years without a playoff appearance. When I was 16 years old, the San Diego Chargers left San Diego to move to Los Angeles. It was one of the most formative moments of my childhood. That San Diego State basketball team with Kawhi Leonard was the only great sports team that I could go watch as a child. They nearly had a perfect season in 2011. They were 24-1 and entering what was, and still is, the biggest basketball game in the history of San Diego State. The Aztecs were ranked number four in the country, and they were playing a home conference game against number seven, BYU, and their sharpshooting point guard, Jimmer Ferdet. And yes, I was in the crowd for that game. Jimmer Ferdet would beat out Kawhi Leonard for the 2011 College Player of the Year award. Jimmer would be drafted by the Sacramento Kings five picks before the Spurs took Leonard in the 2011 NBA draft. Jimmer ruined San Diego State's perfect 18-0 season the first time they played in Provo, Utah, and in front of a 20,000-person crowd in San Diego, including an 11-year-old me, Jimmer and BYU would again beat San Diego State at the time, I didn't know that college allowed five fouls for a foul out, so I was really confused how Jimmer Fredette was allowed to stay in the game. Kawhi Leonard was having the single greatest season in Mountain West basketball history, and he wasn't even the best player in his own conference. For people who don't remember, Jimmer Fredette was Steph Curry before Steph Curry. He won College Player of the Year from BYU of all places. He captured people's attention by shooting three-pointers five to ten feet beyond the three-point line, just like Steph Curry would do three years later. The nation even came up with a phrase for this, Jimmer Range. Even though Ferdet's NBA career never panned out, he's now one of the greatest basketball players in the history of the Chinese Basketball Association frequently putting up games of 50, 60, and even 70 points. San Diego State's only two losses in the 2011 season came against Jimmer and BYU. The Aztecs and Cougars split the Mountain West regular season title, and both teams finished ranked inside the top 10. Kawhi and Jimmer would face off for a third time in the 2011 Mountain West Championship game. Jamal Franklin, Kawhi's teammate, recalled how Kawhi had one of the most vocal moments of his time at San Diego State during this game. Quote, he kept yelling at Coach Fisher, let me guard Jimmer, let me guard Jimmer. Kawhi had no business taking on that challenge, but he did it, end quote. This time, Leonard and San Diego State dismantled BYU, winning the 2011 Mountain West Conference title. Jimmer denied Kawhi a perfect season, so Kawhi got to deny him a conference championship. In the NCAA tournament, Leonard and the Aztecs were ranked as a number two seed in the West region. They won their first ever March Madness game against Northern Colorado. In round two, 
the Aztecs beat Temple to advance to the program's first ever Sweet 16. They would lose by seven points to Kemba Walker, Jim Calhoun, and the number three seeded Yukon Huskies. Yukon would go on to win the 2011 National Championship, and Kemba Walker would also be drafted ahead of Kawhi Leonard in the 2011 draft. After graduating from San Diego State, Tim Shelton joined Steve Fisher's coaching staff. Today, he works as a lead assistant coach for Oregon State. In 2019, Shelton gave the best quote I can find to describe Kawhi Leonard as a basketball player. Quote, people are like, Kawhi's quiet. I'm like, no, he's not. Have you seen him work? Have you seen the dude work out? Do you know what his routine is over the summer? He has the loudest work ethic of any player I've ever seen. End quote. By now, we know that Kawhi Leonard's work ethic is in the top 0.1% of the top 0.1%. He is a one-in-a-million human being with a work ethic that rivals stories told about Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Kawhi Leonard also possesses a unique drive for greatness combined with a unique drive to avoid stardom. Greatness is related to basketball ability. Stardom is related to the attention and fame that comes from basketball stardom. Basketball players are high-profile figures, and a great basketball player has infinite opportunities to be a star. Kawhi Leonard is unique in that his drive for greatness is near 100, and his drive for stardom is near zero. In fact, Kawhi Leonard might be in the negatives in terms of stardom because he actively fights it off whenever he gets a chance. When Kawhi Leonard first joined the San Antonio Spurs in 2011, he and his mother moved into a house together in the San Antonio area. During the season, Kawhi and his mother would play Jenga and eat enchiladas together during the Spurs off days. Kawhi doesn't own a single public social media account, and neither does his partner, Kaishel Shipley. When Shipley and Leonard began living together, they bought a house in San Diego where they still live today and raised their two children. When Kawhi Leonard arrived at the Spurs Arena, he would be driving the same 1997 Chevy Tahoe that he got when he was 16 years old. And his outfit would be a generic Jordan brand t-shirt and basketball shorts gifted to him by the sponsor who he grew up idolizing as a child. If we already know that Greg Popovich had a private life, Kawhi Leonard took a private life to a new level. The Spurs culture and work environment made it easier for Leonard to be that private version of himself. As he emerged as one of the three best players in all of the NBA, Kawhi Leonard became the magic elixir that helped keep the Spurs culture alive and well. In the 2015 offseason, the Spurs signed four-time NBA All-Star LaMarcus Aldridge away from the Portland Trailblazers. Aldridge, who was 29 years old at the time, would go on to make three more All-Stars in San Antonio and retire as one of the NBA's 100 leading scorers. The signing gave the San Antonio Spurs a balanced blend of old and young stars, 
with five future Hall of Famers playing significant minutes on the 2016 team. The Spurs' core was MVP Kawhi Leonard, All-Star LaMarcus Aldridge, and 28-year-old Danny Green. In addition, they still had 33-year-old Tony Parker at point guard, 38-year-old Manu Ginobili off the bench, and a 39-year-old Tim Duncan starting at center. In 2016, the San Antonio Spurs won a franchise record 67 games. The Spurs set an NBA record by going 40-1 at home. Only the 1986 Boston Celtics, regarded as the greatest team in franchise history, won as many home games. Statistically, this was the greatest San Antonio Spurs team of all time. Better records than teams who had won championships. And they weren't even the best team in the NBA. Led by Steph Curry, the Golden State Warriors set an NBA record with 73 wins in 2016. This was after a season where they won the NBA Finals. The 67-win Spurs settled for the number two seed in the West. To get to the finals, they would have to go through the Warriors. In round one, the Spurs dominated the Memphis Grizzlies, winning games by 31, 26, and 21 points on their way to a sweep. The Spurs had the Warriors firm in their sights, with Golden State being tested not at all on their way to the Western Conference Finals. Who was standing in the way of San Antonio's matchup with the Warriors? Kevin Durant and the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Spurs and the Thunder hadn't faced off in the playoffs since Kawhi sent Durant and Westbrook home in 2014. It was the epic rubber match between the two teams. Oklahoma City bested the Spurs in 2012. San Antonio beat the Thunder in 2014. Winner had a date with the 73-win Warriors. In Game 1, the Spurs dominated at home by 32 points. LaMarcus Aldridge put up 38, Kawhi had 25, and Kawhi held Durant to just 15 points, his lowest total of the entire playoffs. The Spurs were 43-1 at home. In Game 2, the Thunder led by 4 points with 30 seconds to play. LaMarcus Aldridge was fouled on a 3-point shot with 14 seconds left to play. Aldridge made all 3 free throws, giving him 41 points on the game. Oklahoma City called timeout in order to advance the ball up the floor. Thunder 98, Spurs 97. Shooting guard Dion Waiters is the inbound passer for the Thunder. Manu Ginobili is guarding Waiters as the inbound defender. Waiters has only five seconds to inbound the basketball. With four seconds left and no timeouts for the Thunder, Dion Waiters reaches out and pushes Manu Ginobili backwards with his elbow. This is a textbook offensive foul. The ball should be going back to San Antonio, out of bounds, with 14 seconds left. 
except the officials don't call a foul on Waiters. Waiters then threw the inbound pass in the direction of Kevin Durant, and it was intercepted by Danny Green. The Spurs, now scrambling, threw the ball to Tony Parker, then to Ginobili, then to Patty Mills for a corner three-pointer. Mills's shot gets tipped, and the ball bounces into the arms of LaMarcus Aldridge. Three Thunder players grab the ball for a jump around Aldridge, as Leonard joins the scrum now piling up under the basket. In the ensuing chaos, the ball rolls on the floor, and the horn sounds. Thunder win, 98-97. In the aftermath of Game 2, referee crew chief Ken Maurer issued a statement admitting that the referees missed the call on waiters. Quote, On the floor, we did not see a foul on the play. However, upon review, we realized and we agree that we should have had an offensive foul on the play. It's a play we have never seen before, ever, but we feel we should have had an offensive foul on waiters, end quote. The Spurs lost their first home game in five months. San Antonio won game three in Oklahoma City, a game which could have put them up three games to zero. The Thunder won game four, tying the series at two games each, before returning to San Antonio for Game 5. In Game 5, the Spurs held Durant to just 23 points, and Leonard himself added 26. The Spurs couldn't find any other offense that night, with just 9 points from Tony Parker, 3 from Manu Ginobili, and a 5-point game in 28 minutes from Tim Duncan. Meanwhile, Russell Westbrook had the finest game of the series. He put up 35 points, 10 rebounds, and 9 assists. He sealed the game with an and-one layup with 36 seconds to go. The Spurs lost again. That 5-point, 28-minute performance would be Tim Duncan's final home game as a San Antonio Spur. The Thunder eliminated San Antonio in Game 6 behind 37 points from Durant and 28 from Westbrook. After 19 seasons, two MVPs, 15 All-Stars, five All-Defensive teams, and five championships, Tim Duncan retired. Duncan retired in the most Spurs way possible, on a team-issued press release in the middle of August. He played all 19 seasons in San Antonio. The Thunder would lose in seven games to the 73-win Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. Then the Cleveland Cavaliers, led by LeBron James, would defeat the 73-win Warriors in the NBA Finals. One month later, Kevin Durant left Oklahoma City in free agency to sign with the Warriors. The move added Durant to one of the best teams in the West while dismantling the Oklahoma City Thunder, all in one move. Suddenly, the Spurs became the only viable team who could compete with Golden State in the Western Conference. The Thunder were gone, and the Rockets wouldn't be viable contenders until they acquired Chris Paul for 2018. Most people felt the 2017 championship was already decided. The Warriors won 67 games in 2017 
and they started the playoffs 8-0. The Spurs won 61 games, and Kawhi Leonard finished third in the MVP voting, behind Russell Westbrook and James Harden. Harden's Rockets eliminated Westbrook's Thunder in round one. Then the Spurs eliminated Harden in round two. A 39-year-old Manu Ginobili famously blocked Harden's three-point attempt to close out the series. The Spurs advanced to the Western Conference Finals to face Durant, Curry, and the Warriors. In Game 1, the Warriors jumped out to a 10-9 lead against the Spurs. Then, something that people hadn't seen all year happened. The Warriors got destroyed. The Spurs went on a 37-11 scoring run in the first half of that game. Aldridge scored 11 in the first quarter, and Leonard added 21 in the first half. Kawhi made 11 out of 11 free throws. The Spurs at one point led by 25 points. Warriors fans started leaving the building at halftime. This was a team that hadn't lost a basketball game in two months. In the last three seasons, the Warriors had lost nine home games total. They were 114 and nine. In the second half, the Spurs led 76 to 55. With eight minutes left to go in the third quarter, Kawhi Leonard dribbled towards the right corner and shot a long two-point attempt. There to contest was Warriors center Zaza Pachulia. Pachulia moved his left foot into Kawhi's landing zone. Leonard's left foot landed right on top of Zaza's leg. Kawhi rolled over on his ankle and he hit the floor. In front of the Spurs bench, Leonard went down in agonizing pain. He stood up and limped towards the San Antonio Spurs locker room. Right after Leonard's departure, the Golden State Warriors went on an 18-0 scoring run, cutting the Spurs' lead from 21 points down to 3. The Warriors would go on to win Game 1 of the series by 2 points. Kawhi would be ruled out for the remainder of the series, and the Warriors swept San Antonio in four games. The San Antonio Spurs would never make it that close to an NBA Finals again. Thank you for stopping in to Episode 3 of The Fall of the Spurs Dynasty. On Episode 4, we'll discuss everything that happened during the 2018 Spurs season. Until next time, my name is Kyle Ledbetter. Take it easy, everyone.